Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good weekend to you food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio and nowhere else I'd rather be than savoring the good stuff with you. Food is life. Create and savor yours. What's on the menu? Well, your table is ready. So sit down and dish with me as I welcome you to my kitchen. This is your culinary playground. Every weekend, whether you love to cook or love to eat, I like to say we can definitely be friends because a meal is a terrible, terrible thing to waste, right? (laughs) I'm always serving up seconds at chefjamie.com and I hope you'll become a fan and a friend on social at Chef Jamie Gwen on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Celebrating my 20th year on radio, this is definitely a food lover's paradise. So let me tell you what is on the table today. Stay tuned because coming up, we are chasing flavor. That's right. Isn't that what life is all about? In my opinion, oh, it so is. And Dan Kluger is here. Wait till you hear about his insightful knowledge on food. Plus, Maggie Zhu is here. And yes, how I crave Chinese food. From her popular blog, Omnivore's Cookbook, Maggie has released a new book, in fact, entitled Chinese Home Style. And so we're going to take some baby steps to cook better in the new year, to eat healthier while not missing out on everything you love. So really good Chinese food coming up. Stay tuned. But first, I like to kick this show off with a tutorial of sorts, as you know, and I always welcome your questions. So email me, please, jamie, J-A-M-I-E at chefjamie.com. Just like Jay Brown did. Thank you for your email, Jay. Uh, This is what it said this week. Can you please explain the process of confit? I know the classic is duck, but there must be other foods that use this technique. I am committed to learning to confit. Well, kudos to you, Jay Brown, because I love confit, spelled C-O-N-F-I-T in the French form of the word. Confit, the method of cooking usually meat in some sort of melted fat, has long been a common practice to preserve meat, right? And while its popularity has grown in the fine dining world, if you've had a duck confit salad lately, I'm sorry I wasn't sitting next to you. It's one of my favorites. Confit is not just for meat, though. You can confit garlic cloves, which I do in my air fryer, by the way, and shallots and fish and lemons and fennel. And interestingly enough, you'll find that most of the vegetable confits are made with olive oil as opposed to animal fat. But there is something absolutely beautiful about a confit. And I think that it's a culinary method that every great cook should master. Even if you make it just once, It's the epiphany, the bravo that you post on your social so that everyone knows duck confit graced your kitchen. It's the tenderness, the richness, the subtlety of flavor that you get by cooking meat slowly in its own fat. 
And there might be nothing comparable to it. The aroma and the flavor is just outstanding. So Jay Brown, this is how you confit. Now, the first thing I thought of when I went to answer the question I received via email is that you might wonder how the process of confit differs from deep frying. And there is one answer, and that is temperature. So deep frying usually occurs between 350 degrees and 450 degrees. And confit is done about 200 degrees Fahrenheit. The word confit, by the way, is derived from the French verb, um, which means to preserve. And back in the day, of course, the preservation process was done so as to keep the meat for a longer time. What happens when you confit or cook in fat, for the most basic definition, the muscle of the meat slowly breaks down and it tenderizes and it becomes like melt in your mouth. And that is why everyone loves this cooking method. It's also super simple. Um, It's not for the faint of heart though, because it is a good quantity of fat, but there's very little that you need to do really. Now, there is a misperception rather, a common one, that many have about confit, and that is that it is this very fatty food, right? If you submerge meat or protein in fat for hours, it must be fatty, And interestingly enough, no, that's not true. The fat does not permeate or penetrate very far into the meat itself. So if you compare a leg of duck confit to a braised duck dish, let's say, it is virtually the same fat content. Now, if that doesn't motivate you to confit, I don't know what does. Now... Here are my best chef's tips and a few guidelines to walk you through the process. As I said, confit is not difficult. It's not complicated. It takes time. It's not for fat-free eaters, uh, but I can think of very few foods that are as deliciously indulgent as duck confit salad, right? You've got this rich, fall-off-the-bone duck meat that's usually set atop a bed, of, as I call them, frisky greens, right? Nothing like your standard spring mix that wilts easily, but something that has more substance to it. And usually there's a a rather acidic or bitey vinaigrette, and you'll see some scattered nuts and some pungent crumbled cheese and maybe some fresh apple or pear. And okay, I'm in. Now, you can, once again, make confit out of many meats. You'll see duck most often, uh, goose oftentimes, and pork, the most common. But here are the guidelines. So you do want to salt the meat quite heavily. And I recommend, like a dry brine, that you salt in advance and refrigerate uh, the meat a day before you're about to confit. One, it uh, starts curing the meat itself, but it also adds and permeates the flavor. You could use salt, you could use a dry rub or your basic balance of salt and pepper as you like to cook with. Now, you are going to melt enough fat, usually the same fat as the meat, like duck confit cooked in duck fat. You're going to melt enough fat to cover all of the meat. 
and usually that takes some sort of stock pot. You rinse the salt off the meat, you pat it dry, and you add it to the pot with the melted fat. And the fat doesn't have to be super hot at this point, but be cautious. You're going to slowly settle it in. And you're going to bring the temperature up to about 200 degrees, just when you see occasional bubbles coming up to the surface. And you're going to cook for several hours until the meat is super tender and it starts to pull away from the bone. And then you let it sit in the fat until it is completely cool to room temperature off of the heat. And then you can store it. Long-term storage, actually, if you cover it with the melted fat, it will stay refrigerated for, I say, up to a month or so. And the flavor actually continues to improve as time goes on. Now, I confit garlic cloves in olive oil until they're tender and golden. I love lemon confit, as I mentioned, and fennel confit. And oh, there's so much goodness. And the meat that you get from your perfect confit can be used in just about anything and everything. Like stir it into risotto or serve it over a salad or make ravioli or put it into your pasta sauce. Or how about elevating taco night? Oh, yes. Confit taco night, that's like taco night on steroids, and I'll be right over. If you have culinary questions or queries, I'm happy to certainly listen, address them, and answer them to the best of my ability. Please email me, jamie at chefjamie.com. Don't touch your dial. When we come back, there is Chinese food galore in your radio. Yes, you can make the best dim sum at home. Wait till you hear. Maggie Zhu is here and we're cooking Chinese home style. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Don't touch your dial. Be right back. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. If you're hungry for juicy conversation, well, we're kicking off the year right. After an indulgent holiday season, I think it's natural to feel like a change is in order. So for the next few weeks, we're highlighting the best ways to reasonably eat healthier while not missing out on the cuisines and the foods that we crave. Think of it as baby steps to take a few at a time in an effort to better your eating habits throughout 2023. And oh, how I crave Chinese food. There is a new book release you have to see. It's entitled Chinese Homestyle Everyday Plant-Based Recipes for Takeout, Dim Sum, Noodles, and More, and it is by Maggie Zhu. 
It allows you to enjoy the flavors of Chinese food with plant-based recipes and no wok required. Okay, I'm in. And with her popular blog, Omnivore's Cookbook, Maggie is the go-to person for traditional Chinese recipes that are designed for the Western home. Over the past few years, she's been incorporating plant-based cooking into her diet. And these foolproof vegan recipes pack all the flavor with none of the meat. Maggie is a New York-based food writer who was raised in Beijing, China, and she is here to dish. A very happy new year to you, Maggie. Your book makes me so hungry. Thank you. Happy new year. <laughs> Thank I'm you. I'm glad to hear you like the book. Uh, very much so. I'll tell you, I crave Chinese food. There is no doubt there is something about the umami boost and bomb and all the deliciousness of it. And I was really inspired reading your story. I love that you tell a, a story about making your first dish having moved away from home and it didn't taste exactly like your mom's, but holding on to that heritage I know was so important, but it's a great transformation to go to a plant-based version of what you grew up with. And, and I wish you would uh, tell us a bit of the trials and tribulations and your path to this place. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really like a long journey. Uh, <laughs> I actually learned how to cook when I was living in Japan. That was the first time I, you know, uh, now, uh, leaving home, uh, traveling somewhere totally by myself. Right. And I have to cook to, to survive, actually, because um, eating out is so expensive. And at the time, I didn't really know how to cook. I mean, I kind of know really basic things like, oh, you know, how to boil eggs or maybe make the simplest stir fry. But most of the time, um, you know, I either, when I grow up, I either eat at a uh, school cafeteria or my mom just cook all the meals for me. Mm-hmm. So that was the first time I actually really started to learn cooking. Um, and uh, I had so many long distance calls with my mom, but it was really, really hard when she was talking, you know, telling me, you know, you, you just stir fry this, add a little bit of soy sauce and cook until it's right. And it was never right. <laughs> so that's, that's when I was really um, trying to get into like, oh, how to cook things that actually taste good. And I found it super helpful when I started to read Japanese blogs and uh, mag- food magazines. Mm. I found their instructions really, really clear. Uh, they have so many pictures, like telling you how to cut things. And, you know, this is how you cook it. And this is the color it should become. And I started to actually learn Chinese cooking from those uh, Japanese chefs, and actually a lot of home cooks who write their own stories. Um, I, I, I guess started there. Yeah, um, and, and I think and, that's yeah. fabulous because that's the making of a chef, right? You found an outlet by which you could learn, and then you started creating the dishes not only that you remembered and that you loved from your mom, but you fell in love with Chinese takeout, right? And you started duplicating yeah, those exactly. dishes you hadn't heard of before. And look where you've come to today. Yeah, because that's actually when I started, you know, cook more and I really, really enjoyed it. And I decided to start my own blog. And, you know, I, instead of saying, oh, everything's easy, I actually sometimes tell people, you know, it's not that easy. <laughs> because when you're learning a new cuisine, there's like different condiments, ingredients, and it's like cutting is different, how you use the heat is different. So I try to really break it down. Like, I, I, you know, at the same time, I tell you, you know, it's, it's really easy if you just follow this. But you really do need the uh, really detailed, clear step-by-step. And 
I, I try to add a lot of notes. Yes, and, and on how to source ingredients and you know how to prep things. And Chinese Homestyle, your new book release, has so much information. Like, I loved learning more about dark soy sauce. I know that it's richer and slightly sweeter, Mm -hmm. right? And that there is very little substitute for it. But a lot of the must-haves that you talk about in your ingredient list are what give you the basis for creating Chinese Homestyle dishes. And then you've transformed them to a plant-based style um, inspired by, and I, and I love the story, right? Your husband is a marathoner, but you came to America and gained, right. w- gained weight, right? And thinking, yep. how am I going to adjust my lifestyle here? And that's really what all of us look to at the start of the year, especially, but also as a better way to live and to eat. Yes, exactly. And I do feel like even around me, I have more and more friends. You know, they don't, they are not really vegan, but they want to, you know, like maybe their doctor suggests, you know, add one more, one plant-based meal per week. Right. So you'll, you'll feel better and you'll be healthier. Yeah, for sure. Um, I love at the start of the book that you make your own homemade sauces and condiments. So uh, a toasted chili oil, the seasoned sweet soy sauce, a black bean sauce. Do you have copious amounts of jars in your refrigerator that you go to? Because this is the ultimate weekend project to me. Yeah, there's like quite a few. I feel like the chili oil is always, always. I think the first one is chili oil. I always have that one. Black bean sauce is the second. Like when I'm feeling really, really lazy, I would maybe buy a jar, but the homemade one really makes a difference. Yeah, it does. And I'll tell you, when you read through the ingredients on a bottle of store-made sauce, it's very different than the homemade version. Um, And I love all the condiments that you make as well. I happen to, Maggie, and this is kind of funny, I happen to have a ton of watermelon radishes in my refrigerator right now. Don't ask why. I just do. And so I'm making 15-minute pickled watermelon radish today because... I love the texture and the crunch of a pickled vegetable, and the bite of the radish must be beautiful here. Yeah, that's awesome. It's a very spicy radish. So yes, I it hope is. you enjoy this. It's, you know, you add a little bit of maple syrup and some vinegar, it's really balanced out. Yeah, beautiful. Um, this book is really a, a beautiful representation of a transformation of the way that you grew up with Chinese cuisine and the way you cook today. And I think it tells a wonderful story. So thank you for continuing to bring uh, the foods that you love to our tables. And I think it's a beautiful way to elevate your Chinese cuisine in 2023. It's entitled Chinese Homestyle. It is by Maggie Zhu, Z-H-U. And you can follow at Omnivore's Cookbook, where she made a name for herself, Omnivore's Cookbook, and you can find the new book, Chinese Homestyle, available now. Check it out. Maggie, what a pleasure. Uh, To Delicious Dishes in 2023 to you. Thank you for sharing your passion. Thank you. It's a pleasure talking to you, too. Thank you, and you, too. As the delicious conversation continues, there's more to kick off the year in delicious style. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Be right back.
and wine, and it's divine. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Welcome back. When I say we have the greatest culinary thinkers on this show, I mean it. And to kick off 2021, I could not have hoped for a grander guest. This chef has been lauded as one of the country's rising culinary stars for so many years in a row now, I have to tell you. Uh, His name is all the buzz, as is his debut cookbook. Dan Kluger is known for his extraordinary skill, his culinary masterpieces, his artful eye. And I'll tell you, Chasing Flavor, the book just released and already award-winning, is like a tell-all. It's techniques and recipes to cook fearlessly. And if you ever wanted to learn from an extraordinary talent, this is it. Chef owner of Loring Place in New York City, Dan is sharing his recipes, his techniques, his food philosophy, so that you can essentially create dishes with amazing balance, with contrasting textures. It is a lesson in mastering a recipe, and it is the secrets from an incredible talent, no doubt. So let me tell you a little bit about Dan. He's a native New Yorker. He started his career at Union Square Cafe uh, at Tabla under Danny Meyer's tutelage. He has worked for some of the finest chefs across the country, and he is a two-time James Beard Award winner. He's been seen just about everywhere. And I will say the book is extraordinary. I wanted to lick the pages. The photos are so beautiful, but it's the content of the cookbook that allows you to dig deep. And so we are chasing flavor and chef Dan Kluger is here. I feel very honored to have you chef. Thank you. Thank you. Very honored by all your lovely words. Well, uh, well deserved. They're not they don't feel well deserved, but I oh, greatly appreciate it. You're being humble. It's true. You've been talked about as as this culinary star for a lot of years, and you continue to raise the bar. And I feel like the book is a tell-all. Like, you shared all the secrets. I, I've read almost page by page from, from start to finish, front to back. I would love for you to try to, and I know in your introduction you talk about when, when you serve an aioli, people ask you, what's in it? And when you describe it, they say, well, that, I could do that, right? But when they ask you your food philosophy, it's hard to put it into a sentence. Just give us an idea, if you would, as to how you see yourself as a chef. Are you always chasing flavor? Yeah, I think, you know, in terms of my cooking style, um, it very much hinges on flavor and, and balance of flavor and, and texture. Um, and a lot of that I, I credit to um, certainly my time with, with Jean George, but, um, really, probably most importantly, my, my time with, um, the late great Floyd Cardoz, who, mm. um, was a, a pioneer of Indian food in this country. Yes. Um, mm. and I, I learned a lot from him about balancing flavor and balancing textures. And I think that's something that's often missed, um, by the home cook when, when we're talking about how to make something, um, and, you know, I'll be at a friend's house and I'll, I'll make something for them in their kitchen um, or, you know, throw it on the grill and they'll make a comment about just how different it is than, than what they make. And it's really just about, and we've talked about it, just about this balance, it's about thinking about, hey, this needs some more pepper or it needs some more salt or it needs a pinch of sugar or a splash of vinegar or a squeeze of lemon juice, something that just elevates the flavor. 
Hmm. <clears throat> and so this this book talks a lot about the ways in which um, you can um, you know, sort of create that flavor, the techniques that you can use for that. And then it also um, has a ton of the components that, that we yes. want you to build your pantry with, right? And yes. you, you alluded to it with the aioli, which people will come and say, like, oh, my God, this is so amazing. And when we talk about the aioli, you know, for me early on in this book, it was this sort of aha moment of people asking me about these specific things, me realizing that, you know, people want to know this, and, and they're talking about how it was so great with, you know, the butternut squash fries, let's say, but mm. that they would love to put this on a sandwich. And mm. that's the reality is we're just helping people build a pantry that can be used in so many different ways. Yes, and I love that you use the word pantry uh, in general, because you don't mean just the garbanzo beans in the cabinet. You mean, I assume, the the compounding of all of the components of the dish. And so aioli is a standard for you. It's it's always in your fridge or it's a go-to. And those are the things that you build in your repertoire when you chase flavor to create a composed dish that has, as you talk about, the sweet, sour, spicy, bitter, and the contrasting textures. Very much to what you just said and to your point. One of my favorite spreads in the book, aside from every recipe, and I did almost lick the pages just so you know. One of my favorite spreads is at the beginning of the book, you talk about building blocks of flavor and they're listed by category. So pick a meat uh, or doughs and pastas and the condiments you could choose or the different dressings and then a pickle or preserve and then a sauce, maybe a topping, right? Add crispy onions or the fried capers. The, the simplicity of those things, but all of them together is what creates the masterpiece. Yeah, I mean, we... we um certainly spend some time talking about pantry, not the garbanzo beans, but but certainly things like um, olive oils and vinegars and, yes. and other things you can do to elevate your pantry, miso, maple syrup, mm. mustards. I mean, there's certainly things like that. But, um, yeah, the pantry to me is, is about building these things that, um, you know, it's not necessarily that you always have in, the, in your fridge, but it's more if you're going to do the work, mm. um, and, and that's a, you know, big part of this is if you're going to do the work yes. to create some of these recipes, they may seem, sometimes they may seem daunting or they may have a lot of components, but realizing that these components then become part of your pantry can be used mm. in, you know, three or four different meals throughout the week. Yes. And again, it could be the aioli, it could be the vinaigrette from, from the broccoli salad, which is great on the broccoli, but it's also perfect, um, you know, salad vinaigrette for something like butterhead or, or little gem lettuces. Mm. Um, it also goes great with uh, a, a roasted chicken breast. So mm. this idea of getting people comfortable with doing the work, and there's a payoff to doing the work because it's helping them build this pantry of things and this, this um, you know, repertoire of things that can be used to create more than one meal. And, you know, we tried to stay away from, there's a, there's a lot of books out there, I think, that, you know, we'll, we'll kind of be like, uh, here's how you make the burger. But if you don't like ground beef, you could do this with chicken. If you don't want to do a burger, you could do this with a steak. Well, you know, to me, that's a little bit getting away from what the heart of the idea of the dish was. You were doing a burger. So, you know, in, in this <laughs> case, what I'm saying is if there's, if there's a steak and it comes with this condiment or this sauce, that sauce can be used on other things. You don't have to be 
you know, hard, fast about serving it with a steak. Uh, but we're not just changing the, the, the dish, essentially. We're creating this uh, repertoire of, of condiments and sauces and things. Yes. I want to go back, though, for a moment, um, because I certainly can't argue with butternut squash fries with lemon parmesan aioli. But you've mentioned so many components of it because I led with aioli. And I had already rabbit-eared the page because I can't wait to make them. Um, but to talk to you about it, because I think it's it's one of many perfect recipes that breaks down your philosophy of chasing flavor. So first you talk about a tempura batter. And I, I knew I liked you for your extraordinary passion and talent, but I liked you more when you wrote and added uh, that you use a good amount of vodka in your tempura batter. Now I really like you. And <laughs> I certainly understand why. It does give you a really crispy coating, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes. And then, and that, you know, that's an important thing just to note is that every recipe has what we call the takeaway. <clears throat> and the takeaway is either something like the vodka that's scientific, that's teaching people, again, the reason why to do something. I, I hate when I read recipes and it has something, let's call the vodka, and, and, and there's no reason why. So you're reading and saying, oh, there's vodka in there. Well, why? Instead, we're explaining the reason why or the, the takeaway of how you roast this meat from this recipe mm-hmm. um, or how you roast a vegetable or anything. So each recipe, we try and find something that, that's a takeaway, that's a lesson that's helpful for people. Yes. Um, again, to, to give them these techniques and, and uh, confidence in the kitchen. Chef, this conversation is just too good. You won't go away. Will you please stay with us when we come back more on Chasing Flavor with Chef Dan Kluger. back and we're dishing Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. One of the country's greatest culinary rising stars is here. Dan Kluger and his debut cookbook, Chasing Flavor. It's a tell-all and it is so delicious. Now the aioli that we've alluded to over and over, there's a secret there. This is where the tell-all comes in. You're all about miso, aren't you? I do. I like miso a lot. Yes. Um, it is one of those things that... Umami um, bomb. Adds texture and, yeah. and umami. Yeah. And, um, you know, again, a lot of my cooking, even though the book isn't a vegetarian book, you'll see there's a lot of vegetables in there. There's a lot of salads. And, and I think that, um, you know, what I like is that by using things like miso and other umami bombs, you're able to create something that is a very simple vegetable and make it meaty and interesting and and exciting to eat. 
I'm very excited by butternut squash fries, just so you know. I'm also uh, very much looking forward to parsnip soup with sautéed mushrooms. And you're very forthright about how you cook and how you eat. And I I love that because I think that that the book gives us a a, a sneak peek into you. Um, But you're not a soup guy, really. Like, it has to go with something, you say. Um, I would very happily sit down to a bowl of your parsnip soup with sautéed mushrooms and flaky sea salt finished uh, uh, over the top. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I there's a lot of people out there that just love to dig in a big bowl of soup. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not necessarily my favorite thing, so when I do have soup or I'm making soup, I, I, I you know, I want to I wanna add things to it. I want to make it that much more exciting. And again, you know, soup is something that, for the most part, uh, I don't think people really pay a lot of attention to the balance of texture. Maybe the flavor, yes, but not necessarily the balance of texture. So here, you know, we're using crispy mushrooms mm. or um, we have a, a, a gazpacho with tomato and raspberry that uh, mm. we have some crunch from cucumbers and, and whole piece of tomato and raspberry. Um, we have this amazing creamy tomato soup with Parmesan croutons. So, again, we're, we're adding umami into it. We're adding crunch into it texture, spice, all those things. And so mm. even something as simple as a soup, I want it to still have that balance. Yeah, and, and it looks extraordinary, and I'm sure it tastes even better. By the way, if you've just tuned in, you're late. Chef Dan Kluger <laughs> is here. His debut cookbook, Chasing Flavor, is an editor's pick on Amazon and being talked about in the industry from this culinary rising star. Uh, I will tell you, it is a master class the cookbook itself in uh, sophisticated, beautiful recipes, but the innovation and the lessons in the kitchen that will make you a a true pro. Um, I love that the book is being touted, Chef, as uh, destined to be a classic. That's the last thing I read. Aside, Aside from the praise you have from every big name in the industry that ever lived, too. Uh, it's quite impressive. Um, as are your gnocchi. Very good. Well, yes. Um, tell us about your, uh, you, you say it's taken a lot of practice. So tell us about your, uh, your gnocchi education. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I, I, you know, I started making gnocchi when I was at Union Square Cafe back in 1995. Um, and Michael Romano, the chef then was, um, sort of an incredible Italian background, and, and he told me how to make gnocchi. But it's one of those ones that, you know, if it's not the middle of summer and you, you don't have fresh tomatoes, it's going to be made with regular tomato sauce. You want to do it with butter and parmesan, you can do it with butter and parmesan. But sure. you know, the takeaway is learning how to make mm. um, these gnocchi, but, but also learning to understand a little bit, you know, why, why are you doing it this way? What is, what is the reasoning for it? Yeah, I love that there's a lesson in it. Do your girls love gnocchi? That is one of their favorite things. That and the, the um, ricotta cavatelli. Ah, uh, yes. Especially my younger one, who she doesn't even eat cheese. She thinks that it is the, the best thing ever. I mean, she eats <laughs> um, four of our restaurant portions in, in one sitting. Oh, that's very impressive. I, I actually yeah. rabbit-eared that, too. Um, I love that you use Botarga. Um, I've talked about Botarga over the years as one of my sort of secret ingredients, there's a, there's a beautiful presentation. I love the theater of Botarga, right? Shaving it yeah, on yeah. a microplane, you know, whether you're at the table, could be your 
restaurant table or it could be your personal dining room table at home. Um, but that's yep. another wonderful takeaway. It's those secret ingredients that allow you to chase flavor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I agree. It is master class. I'll, I'll say it again. It is the lessons that you teach throughout the book um, that uh, are just so filled with wisdom um, and the dishes that I cannot wait to duplicate. So kudos to you. Um, this is really a, a work of art. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, all right, you can follow and make sure you stay up on Chef Dan Kluger's uh, gastronomic happenings. Of course, Dan underscore Kluger, K-L-U-G-E-R, will get you to him. And then also Loring Place, L-O-R-I-N-G-P-L-A-C-E-N-Y-C, Loring Place, N-Y-C, an essential follow. Thank you, Chef. Stay well, and we look forward to dining with you soon. Thank you. Appreciate it. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of delicious conversation. At least I hope you thought so. I thank you for listening, but don't go yet. Let me leave you with my last bite, my last ounce or tidbit of gastronomic inspiration for the week. I love a one pan wonder, and I love when you can put dinner on the table easily using ingredients you have in your fridge and or pantry. So I make this one pan gnocchi with spinach and sausage, and I think it's out of this world, and I've never shared it before. So I'm posting it on social at Chef Jamie Gwen. You start with a package of potato gnocchi. You can actually find them shelf-stable right near the pasta in your favorite supermarket. They often come from Italy, and I think they're absolutely delicious. And you're going to saute some shallots, add the gnocchi, good olive oil, until they're toasty on the outside. Then you add chicken broth and maybe a little heavy cream, and you cook the gnocchi in the sauce. Throw in the spinach and some cooked sausage, finish with Parmesan cheese, and you have a one-pan gnocchi wonder. It's so good. Once again, posting now on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen, and I will meet you here next weekend when I promise there is lots more fabulous food in your radio. I do thank you for listening. Chef Jamie Gwen signing off. I hope you continue to eat well.